few weeks ago, I finished with Acts chapter 2. In a few weeks, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, it says that as they were praying, the place shook. How many of you felt like we were in Acts chapter 4 right there? It was shaking for a minute, and I was probably not the only one looking at these flowers thinking, what am I going to do if they fall? How am I going to make this look gentle? Um, I just wanted to take my Fitbit and give it to one of you guys and put it on because, I mean, I would have had like 10,000 steps already. Um, so you guys did. Thank you so much for leading us in worship. Aren't you thrilled to have Daraja with us this morning? Let me ask you a question. How many of you can remember when you were a child or Maybe I should say how many of you lived out this scene just yesterday in your life to where you're fixing dinner, it's 5.45, and everything is almost ready. You've got the dinner that just came out of the oven, you've got everything, the living room is clean, the kitchen is clean, it's 15 minutes till everyone comes over for dinner, and you walk upstairs to your kid's room, and it looks something like this. Toys are everywhere. You see the toys are piled up. Your son's underwear is on top of all the toys. Your daughter has taken the toilet paper from the living room, I mean from the guest bathroom, has rolled it all the way through the hallway into that. And what are they doing? Sitting on top of the toys, just playing like, what's wrong with this? Now you clearly remember just 30 minutes ago, you told them what? You said, hey, our friends are coming over, so you need to have the room what? Cleaned up. So the question is, how are you going to motivate your kids to clean up the upstairs? Maybe you'd say something like this. Kids, if you really loved mom and dad, then you would have cleaned up your room. You can say you love me all you want, but you don't really mean it unless you what? Unless you do it. I really just wish you would show your mommy and daddy how much you loved us and you would just obey and do what we told you to do. All right, I'll go and be the first one to raise my hand and admit I've used that tactic more than one time. What's that called? Guilt. Guilt. It's the gift that keeps on giving, right? We think, well, man, if they love me, they would just do what I tell them to do. Well, we're going to look this morning at just one verse. We're going to look past our parenting skills or past where we were as kids. And I wanted to look just for a few minutes at one special verse that came from the mouth of Jesus. And it's found in John chapter 14, verse 15. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right here, God is saying that if love for God, if it's not present in our heart, then what? Then genuine obedience will be absent in our life. Let me say that again. If love for God isn't present in our heart, then genuine obedience, it's going to be absent in our life. Jesus, in this one verse, he recognized there was a direct connection between what? Between love and obedience. He makes it crystal clear in this verse. He's teaching us here about obedience, but Jesus is not teaching us about obedience in the way that we tend to teach our children about obedience, right? Do you see Jesus in this verse piling on the guilt? Man, if you just love me, you would make me look good. You would do the things that I've asked you to do. No, and in fact, what we see is that Jesus says that he knows the only way that's going to motivate the children of God to follow him that's going to motivate them through the trials and through the temptations of life is if they have a genuine love for him. 
in this one verse. Really, if you look at it, it's just nine words. What Jesus tells us is he's making one incredible promise. Here's the promise that Jesus makes. That love will motivate our behavior. It's that simple. That love motivates our behavior. Remember this. Jesus knows you completely. He knows your past. He knows your failures. He knows your faults. He knows your your thoughts, your evil deeds, the things that you're thinking about that are desiring, that, that are not holy. But at the same time, for those of us who are followers of Christ that have given our lives to follow Jesus and have this genuine desire that that we want to be obedient followers of him, that he knows how much we desire to obey him. He knows how guilty we do feel when we do fail him. And as our love for him grows, what he's saying right here is our obedience will grow at the same time. They're in direct correlation together. As our love grows, our what? Our obedience will naturally grow. But it's easy for us to say, it's easy to think, well, I've got this love God part down. I say it, I go to church, I read my Bible. That's the easy part. I just need to focus not on loving God because I do love him. I need to focus more on obeying him and doing the things that I know I'm supposed to do. But it's right there when we say that. It's right there when we think we've got the love God part down, that we can ignore the, that we want to focus on the obeying God part down, that we gloss over the motivating role that love actually plays here. It's so easy for us to go back to what's natural for us to do. What what is so natural for us? To focus on what we need to what? Do. How can I fix it? How can I make sure that I can get this relationship right? But when you drill down on this one simple verse found in John 14, and what you're going to find is that he tells us right here, Jesus says, here's the key to obedience. And what's the key? Jesus says, love me. That's it. Love me, and when you love me, when you give me all of your heart, then your obedience will naturally flow from that love. See, the secret to obedience, it's not wrapped up in God says, well, I'm going to put it in this little uh, calculus equation that you've got to figure out this number of things. You've got to pray the certain prayer a certain number of ways. You've got to have this formula. And once you figure it out, then you're going to understand what it means to obey me. You're going to read this self-help book. And once you follow these 10 steps, then you've got the secret to obedience. That's nowhere found in scripture. In fact, what Jesus says, the key to obedience, it's found in this never giving up pursuit of loving him more and more each and every day. So if that's the key, if the key to obeying God is not doing more, which again, in our American society, and if you're like me, that type A personality, give me a checklist, give me the one, two, three, four, and then I'll be good to go. If that's not the key to obedience, instead, if the key is loving him more, then how do we grow in our love? How do we cultivate this love? Because I know if I love him more, I'm going to obey him more. Well, here it is. The way that we grow or or, or cultivate our love for God is simply by focusing more intently on God's love for you than on your love for him. Let me say that again. The way that we're going to grow more in love with our Savior is not to focus on our lack of love, our failures, the times that we fail Him, but instead, the the more we will fall in love with Him is we, we concentrate on how much He loves us in spite of our failures. We focus instead of, uh, of His obedience through Jesus, 
more than our lack of obedience. We grow in our love for him by focusing more on his faithfulness to you and to me than our meager, meager attempts at being faithful to him. We focus more intently on his strength than our own strength. But isn't that so opposite of the way that we naturally think? We want to fix it ourselves. Let me focus on what I can what? Do. It's so much easier to focus on our actions, to focus on our failures, and to think that we can fix and we can alter that relationship. But when we do that, when we focus on ourselves, we don't take hold of the beauty that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to how John says it in another letter that he wrote. In 1 John chapter 4, he says this. He says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. Let's say that together. We love because he first loved us. You see, when we focus on ourselves and our, our actions instead of Jesus, one of two things happens. When we focus on ourselves instead of Jesus, the first thing that tends to happen is we drown in our own guilt. I'm never worthy enough. I don't deserve God's love. I can never measure up to the person next to me. I don't deserve God's love. So we drown in our own guilt. If that doesn't happen, the second thing that can happen is we drown in our own pride. When things are going well, when we come to church four weeks in a row, when we have our quiet time every day for a week, whenever we do the right things and we put our offering in the plate, we tend to think, oh, well, I'm doing good. God should love me because my actions are, are, are positive. And so we drown not in our guilt, but we drown in our pride. And friends, neither your guilt nor your pride are going to push us towards obedience. That's, it may work for a little bit of a time, and we know that from our children. Guilt works for a little bit but it didn't work over the course of a lifetime. Pride makes you feel better for a little bit, but guess what? Someone else is going to do it better than you, right? But instead, let me give you a better way. Let me give you a better way for us to understand how we can grow in this love for God. If we will intently focus on how we are loved by God, how are we loved by God without merit, with no strings attached, based not on our efforts, but we are loved by God because of the obedience of Jesus. If we rest in that fact, that whether we obey or disobey, disobey, if we've given our Lord and Savior our hearts and we desire to follow him, it does not change his love for us. What does that do? What does that do for us if we begin to understand and we begin to live our lives as if God's love for us is not based on my obedience, nor is it based on my disobedience? I'll tell you what it does. It gives us a heart that wants to obey him, right? It gives us a heart that naturally desires to obey him. But why is that the case? Church family, because that kind of love, it changes people. That kind of love, it draws people to Jesus because they are drawn to that life-changing love and they want to be more like Jesus. You see, when we are overwhelmed by God's love for us, when we are overwhelmed with the love that he has for us, not because I'm a good person, as Caleb shared last week, not because I'm a moral person, but we are overwhelmed that God loves us because Jesus died in our place, because Jesus took our guilt and our shame, because Jesus stood in our place. When we're overwhelmed by that, then what do we want to naturally do? We want to obey him. 
That love draws us to him, and it says, because I understand God's vast love for me, now my desire is to naturally obey him. Now, one last thing before Daraj is going to come and close us this morning. When we understand that the key to obedience is loving him more, does that mean that we are no longer are going to struggle? Does that mean that we're no longer going to have difficulty with sin or, or, or disobeying him? Of course not. As long as we, we are still here on this earth, we will continue, even in our faith, we're going to continue to struggle with sin. Why is that? Because we have what's called an imperfect kind of love. Our love, while we are here on this side of eternity, it's still weak until we see Jesus in his full glory. The words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see in a mirror what? Dimly. But then, what's the but then? When we are face to face before him in heaven. But then when we stand before him face to face, now when I am in heaven in eternity with him, in part, then I shall know him what? Fully, even as I have been fully known. Church family, while we are still here on this earth, we're going to be vulnerable to Satan's lies. We're going to be vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one. But praise God, we serve a loving Heavenly Father that is patient with us. We serve a Savior who constantly, over and over again, welcomes us back into His loving arms, and He overwhelms us with His love. He overwhelms us with His forgiveness. He overwhelms us with His redemption that never ends at all until we are before Him. Aren't you glad that our Savior doesn't treat us like our parents do? Aren't you glad that God doesn't just pile on the guilt? No, it's exact opposite. The way our Savior draws us to obedience is by assuring us that His love, that it's eternal. And that eternal love, it's based not on your obedience. Instead, it's based on Jesus' obedience to His Father. And my hope and my prayer is that when we understand that kind of love, the result will be that we want to obey him more and more. Would you pray with me? Telling Father, we thank you so much for the example of your son Jesus who lived and died in our place so that we might become what your word says, the righteousness of God. May we never take for granted what Jesus did for us so that we can come before you pure and spotless because the blood of Jesus covers all of our sin. And I pray that we would fall more and more in love with you, that we are overwhelmed, that we can't even comprehend how you could continually forgive us, how you could continually love us in spite of who we are, and that love would draw us to a desire to obey you. A desire to say, God, here I am. Send me. Everything I have is yours, and I want to be obedient to you. We thank you for your love. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.